I want us today to return to our concept of balance. We've looked at this a few times in the past several weeks, and I want us to come back today and to think about some thoughts relating to this idea. Balance is so crucial in life. When we think about balance in terms of the way we think and believe and behave, on a scale, the greater weight causes one end to go down and another to go up. And if we look at weight in terms of importance or priority, when we place greater importance, greater emphasis in our lives to a certain way of thinking or believing, we can find ourselves unbalanced, uneven in the way that we live. And so we've looked at different ways of applying this thought, and today I want us to come back to something that you've heard before. In fact, as we begin to go through this lesson, if you are thinking, you know, I, I feel like I've heard this lesson or things like this before, it's because you have. There's no secret to this. A lot of the things I'm going to share today are things that both Ricky and I have said publicly from this pulpit. And the reason I want us to go back through some of these thoughts, one, is because this church has changed since we've given some of these lessons. And it's important for this congregation to hear this lesson, especially those who are new. And it's also important because there are some things that we need to be reminded of over and over and over again. And so today when we talk about balance, I want us to talk about a balanced mindset or a balanced perspective re regarding one particular aspect of this church. I don't mean the church universal, and I don't mean every local church that exists. I want to talk about the Campbell Road Church and one unique particular aspect of this congregation that I believe uh, term, uh, demands a balanced way of looking at it. There's a lot of things about this church that is unique, but one of the things that's unique about the Campbell Road Church is that it's a large church. Most of us are not familiar with congregations this size. In fact, most of us growing up were a part of churches that were much smaller than this one. The average size of a congregation today is somewhere between 80 and 150 members. And so if you look at that compared to our size today, we would be considered quite large. But if you share with someone and you talk about the Campbell Road Church and they say, well, how, how large is the church? And you say, well, the church is somewhere around 400 members. There's going to be a response. It could be really positive. It could be negative. But the reality is everyone has an opinion about what they think the size of a church should be. Here's what's most important. What really doesn't matter is what we think. What's most important is what does the Lord say? What does God have to say about the size of the church, of churches today? In Matthew chapter 14, there are times when the numbering of those who were assembled is mentioned. Like in Matthew 14, we looked at this scene last week. In Matthew 14 and verse 21, those who were gathered to listen to the teaching of Jesus and thus were given a miracle of food, feeding all who came. It says in Matthew 14 and verse 21 that there were about five thousand men who ate besides women and children. Well, if you add that up, it's very likely that there were at least 10,000 people in attendance at this one time. Go with me to Luke chapter 12 in your Bibles. Go over to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 and verse 1. Just get the mental picture in your mind. Luke 12 and verse 1, it says, Under these circumstances, after so many Thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another. He began to say to his disciples, First of all, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So many thousands came to hear Jesus, they were literally stepping on one another. Just kind of gives you the grand picture of how many were there at one time. 
Go with me to Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter is preaching that first gospel sermon, we're told the exact number there. In Acts chapter 2, of those who had heard the message, believed the message, and then responded to the message. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter tells those who were assembled that in order to be right with the Lord, they needed to repent of their sins, be baptized in the name of, of Jesus the Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. It says in Acts 2 verse 41, So then those who had received his words were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. And so we're told the number about 3,000. Now, if you look down at verse 44 of this context, it says, And all those who had believed were together, and had all things in common. So here's a thought if you've not put this together. The impression you get from Acts chapter 2 is that not only did they obey the gospel on that day of Pentecost, but that those who were there who believed and responded to the message stayed together, which would imply that the church in Jerusalem likely numbered in the thousands. We think 400 is big. Can you imagine serving the Lord's Supper to 2,000 people and how long that would take? It's a large numbering. Go two chapters later in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, we get another glimpse as to how the gospel is spreading and the number of disciples is growing in Acts chapter 4 and verse 4. Acts 4 and verse 4, it says, But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. So now we have 5,000 who are added in believing and following along with this message. One more chapter, Acts chapter 5. And Acts chapter 5 and verse 14. It says in Acts 5 and verse 14, that in all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. Something you can't even count. Multitudes of men and women. Kind of get the impression? So, here's our question. What does the Lord have to say about the size of a church? Nothing. That's what he says. Do you remember when Jesus sent his message to the seven churches of Asia in Revelation 2 and 3 and he wrote, wrote the letters? There's a lot he did talk about. There's a lot he commended them on for their faith and their work and their toil and perseverance. He commended them for their, for their steadfastness in the truth and holding up the truth against those who were teaching error. And then he had a lot to correct them on. He talked about how they had left their first love, about they had a, allowed dangerous influences among them that were teaching false things and encouraging false and, and dangerous behaviors, about one church that had grown lukewarm and another one that had died. And yet the one thing the Lord does not talk about is if they were too small or if they were too big. So let's let that be our bold point for the morning. The Lord has said nothing about the size of a church. Here's the point, brethren. Is it not amazing to us that oftentimes the things we talk the most about with the church are the things the Lord said nothing about? The most common question I will give when they, when they ask, where are you from? I'm from Dallas. What congregation are you part of? Kimball Road. The number one question is, how big is it? How large is it? I've never been asked, oh, tell me about the people there. Tell me what works you're a part of. Tell me about evangelism. All I hear is about how big are you? And here's the reality. If I were to say, you know, the Campbell Road Church is about 12 members. They would say, oh, why are you so small? We're going to pray for you. Keep on working and the Lord will bring growth. 
But if I say the Campbell Road Church is 400 members, oh, why are you so big? I've never heard of a church that size before. It's almost like there's this kind of sweet spot, this magic number that we have to attain to. Some of this comes from history. Some of you remember that there was a time in years past when congregations would get to about 150 in size and then they would break off and start another congregation. And then they'd get to 150 and then they'd start another congregation. And that was sort of the rhythm and the pattern back years and years ago. And yet, if you know anything about churches in America, if you've traveled around or if you know people who attend other places, as much as we may be unique compared to the common number of congregations, there are several churches today. There are at least 250 or more today. And we might make the point that regardless of whatever size a church is that we are part of, if we're doing the work the Lord has intended us to do, we should hope in one sense that this congregation gets larger, not for the sake of having more people, but just for the sake of the gospel reaching and going out and souls being saved. And so we would hope in one sense that the congregation would get larger simply because we're doing that work. Here's the point. All of the confusion that happens today about the size of a church does not come from the Lord. It comes from us. It's important for us, and the reason we're talking about this, and I'll get to balance in just a minute. I want to take us there. We're going to get there. Is this, this congregation has been blessed by the Lord, and we are considered a large church, and this large church is growing, and it's important for us to know that and to understand how we ought to think and relate with this. The reality that the size of a congregation is not from the Lord allows us then to look at some of the falsely said statements about the church and to see right through it. That there are some statements that are said about the size of a congregation and we can dismiss them almost immediately. Like number one, large churches are liberal. That large churches are liberal. They're wrong because they're large. It's not because I know what they're doing, what works they're involved in. It's not because I hear what messages they're preaching. It's just the fact that they're big. It's almost this assumption that a church cannot be large without compromising the message somewhere along the way. We know, we know that Paul said to the young preacher Timothy that there's going to come a time when the people are not going to endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. We all know if our aim is to fill this building full of people, we can do it really quick. If we just set the Bible aside, set the Lord's commandments aside, and do what it is we know draws people. Have fun, have giveaways, do what every other company does. And so there is a truth to the fact that there were some in the first century who were going to leave the truth, and they were going to be drawn to something much more appealing than the very constricting, demanding truth of the, of the gospel. But here's the other side, and we need to admit this. That when truth is preached and people want the truth, they will go to the truth. And so in Luke 5 verse 15, it says, But news about him, Jesus was spreading even farther, and great multitudes were gathering. Why? To hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. If someone is looking for the truth and they know that truth is being taught, they will go to the truth. And so it's not uncommon to think if there's enough people a large enough people in one area that all want the truth, and that truth is being tr preached, then they will gather. One of the things I love most about this congregation is that her shepherds and her evangelists and her Bible class teachers in every capacity are committed to the pattern of Paul in Acts 20, and that is to preach the whole council. The whole council. 
which means we preach about the love of God, and we preach about the wrath of God. We preach about confidence in our soul salvation, and we preach about holy living. We preach about heaven, and we preach about hell. We preach it all. We preach the things that are really easy to listen to. You're probably thinking, this is not one of those. That's all right, because we also preach the lessons that are a little harder to listen to. We don't shy away from the difficult subjects because we are committed to the whole truth. Here's the thing. The soundness or rightness of a church is not determined on its size. Point two. Large churches are less friendly. That's the second most common thing I'll hear about large churches. If they say, whoo, 400, the next response is, I bet y'all don't know anyone there. I bet y'all don't really have close relationships in a church that size. And again, the assumption is, if you are a big church, then you really can't have close relationships with one another. But again, that's a myth, because here's the point. Close relationships don't depend on the largeness or smallness of a church. They depend on the commitment of each of the members to love one another and to serve one another. That's what it depends upon. And so that large number in Acts 2, the number likely in the thousands, I want you to notice the pattern that's given to us in Acts 2 about that large group. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in homes and ate together with gladness and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their, uh, to their number daily those who were being saved. Do you notice the common word? That they were together. They live their lives together. Which means whether if a congregation is large or small, the closeness of that congregation depends upon how committed we are to living life together. Which means it's very possible to find a church of 20 who is cold and distant and you just feel completely ignored. And it's possible to find a church, also possible to find a church of three or 400 in which you feel loved and welcomed simply because of the people and their commitment there. Number three, large churches have more who fall within the cracks. Well, there's, there's just too many people to keep watch of. And so it's just more likely that if someone's going to drift, if someone's going to wane, if they're going to lose their faith, in a large church, there's going to be more people who fall away from the Lord because you can't keep track of everyone. First of all, my relationship with the Lord depends on me. Yep, the, the church has a responsibility there, and we'll get to that. But at least my relationship with God does not depend on this church. Can, can we say that? My walk with King Jesus is dependent on you all, and yours is not dependent on me. Because even if a congregation is not what it ought to be, even if a church is waning and drifting from the truth, I still have a responsibility to be right with God and to walk with God. And we, we find in Revelation chapter 3 that church who was dead and yet Jesus says, there was a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And so just because the church is not where it ought to be, does that give me the excuse to just drift and walk away? Members falling in the cracks is not the, is not the result of a large church. Members who fall within the cracks has a lot to do with leadership, with shepherds who are more focused on budgets and buildings than it is with souls. The Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 13, verse 17, Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. 
So when members fall within the cracks, it's because the elders are watching the wrong things. And brethren, thank God we have eight of the finest shepherds here. We're far more concerned about our souls and walking with God than they are these other details. Oh, falling within the cracks is also not the responsibility of a large church, a result of a large church. It's the result of members who are not watching out for each other. Just the chapter before, the writer would say, Therefore strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Here's what we say. Maybe I see a brother or a sister and I'm noticing their habits aren't what they used to be. They're not good. Maybe they're not attending as much as they ought to be. Maybe they're sharing some things in their life that seems inconsistent with the Word of God. And inside we might say, mm. it's not my business though. It's not my business. That's their life. And I have my life. What they do is their business. That's not what Hebrews 12 teaches. Hebrews 12 teaches your business is my business. And my business is your business. Because I want you to go to heaven. And you want me to go to heaven. If, if there's any person here I would look at and say, you know, I, I don't want them to go to heaven with me. That reveals a lot about me and my heart. The Hebrew writer says we're watching and we're looking. And if there's someone who's struggling... We're going to reach, we're going to teach, we're going to serve, we're going to try to help them. So here's our greater point. If we have more members in a congregation who have this same kind of mentality as Hebrews 12, you might have the opposite take place. It's probably less likely you're going to have someone fall within the cracks because you have more people who are more concerned about the greater emphasis and concern of each soul individually. Large churches don't need more workers. Because there's just so much already going on. They just, they don't need me. Brothers, I'm going to come to this point a few times this morning, but let's make the point. Public service, in terms of leading up here, is not the only service that we render to God, nor is it the most important. We're going to come to that. This is not the extent of our service to the Lord. Large churches don't need less workers. We need far more than small congregations because there are far more demands than a smaller congregation. How do you know? Because there's far more people, and brethren, our work is people. That, that's our work. Our work is people. Our work is teaching and encouraging and serving and striving and helping. And yes, even if it's caring for facility, that's for the sake of the people who's going to be meeting here in the facility. And so just by natural conclusion, if there's more people, there is abundantly more opportunities to serve than there would be smaller. There's not less to do. There's a lot more to do. You see, it's easy to allow ourselves to hear some myths, to hear some false assumptions, and to drive into a certain way of thinking about congregations which simply are not true. But here's where balance comes into play. Here's where we get to our balance. The assumptions, I think in many ways, reveal both the blessings and the challenges that do exist in the large congregation. Here's where I need you. If you've uh, maybe drifted a little bit in your mind, you're, you're rubbing off the, uh, the rain sleepies from your eyes, fresh that pin up for a minute and get your notes ready. 
I want us to think about some things very critically this morning about our role in this church. I want us to address the challenges that exist in this church. I want us to be open to the blessings that exist in this church. And we're going to end by asking ourselves an important question this morning. And so let's get our pins ready and let's end this lesson together. Here's number one. We're going to be talking about the challenges. The challenge number one is staying connected. Staying connected. Having close relationships with one another. Love takes work. Relationships takes work. It takes a great deal of effort. And as the congregation go, grows and more members come in, so must also grow our effort and work and labor and loving and caring and enfolding one another to this church. We might say, yeah, but we are a really loving church. That, that's what we're known for. We're known as a church that's really loving and caring and supportive. I'll give you this. Paul said to the brethren at Thessalonica, he says, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to the brothers throughout Macedonia. Stop. I, I really don't need to teach you to do this because you're already doing it. You've already got the reputation that you're loving one another. How's the end? But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Yeah, you have a reputation, and you've been doing it for a while. You can't stop. In fact, you have to grow beyond what you're doing now. I was reminded, kindly, this week by a doctor, through the lens of Alice and the, the lens of the looking glass. I saw Alice through the looking glass. There's a quote in, in, in the book from the Red Queen speaking to Alice, and this is what she says. It takes all the running you can do to keep in the same place. If you want to get somewhere else, you must run at least twice as fast. What's your point? Staying where we are is actually falling behind. As life changes, as relationships change, brethren, as congregations change, so must we change. Well, but we've always been doing this, and we're good at loving one another. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure we were, and our effort was good. That's when we were 350, and now we're 400. There's more people. There's more work. There's more responsibilities. There's more required of us. I have to learn to grow as the church grows. And that's going to involve my individual effort. What's that look like? Brother, I'm going to ask you. If, if you were one, I've been there myself, and I'll leave from a surface saying, I feel like I don't know a lot of people here. It's a great starting place. It's an honest admission. I've got some work to do. One thing this looks like is going back to Acts chapter 2. They were in each other's lives day by day. When we invite someone into our lives, when we invite someone to a meal, closeness and connection is met. And so if I'm one and I'm struggling with having close relationships with someone, then let's make a step. Let's take a step. Let's invite someone to a table. Let's invite someone out to eat. Let's invite them to my home. Let's take a picture from Acts chapter 2 and let's get more active and spending time together. Janta made a good point that what happened out of 2020, we don't like to use that word anymore, COVID, but we can talk about that. It made us more isolated and we still need to work on getting together more often outside of services. You can't say that. How do you know we need to get together more outside of services? Well, because only 60% of our congregation joined one of our groups. We have these groups that this congregation has offered, and the groups are designed not just to get work done, 
but then when we're doing that work, to do it together and to spend time together. Well, at least 60% of the church signed up, but only 50% of that 60% are actually coming. 30% of our church are the only ones who are actually showing up and sitting at a table and spending time together. You're looking for an invitation for some, some opportunities. I'll walk it off the page moment. Here's one. If I really want to get to know people, this is a natural way how to do it. Let's just get together. Let, let's spend time together. I'll give you one more to think about. This is a natural one. If you've not done so today, we still have three months left. Come and join it. Come and join us. Come and work. Come sit at a table and get to know people. I would also encourage you with this. You've heard it before. The, the famous definition of insanity is that if we do the same thing over and over again but expect something different, and that's what insanity is. And so if I sit in the same pew and I talk with the same people and then I exit through the same door at the same time, every time I'm here, I'm only going to know the same people. And so if I'm ready and willing to put myself out there to get to know someone else, maybe a change is going to take place. You telling me to sit somewhere else? Well, if you want to, I'd like it. I'd like it if you would. We're not going to mandate it. But it would be great, wouldn't it? If maybe each time we're here, we see someone new, talk to someone new, encourage someone new. If we're not careful, brethren, the reputation of a loving church could simply be that. You have a name that you're loving, but something fell in the cracks a long time ago. Let's work at that. Let's work. We have work to do, so let's work. Here's challenge number two is staying active. Staying active. Keeping busy in the work because there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of work that's demanded of us, brethren. If that work's going to get done, if we're going to spread it out, then every one of us has to step up and be willing to do so. My brothers, let me say a word to you. I know for the majority of our brothers, you coming here, the odds are you came from a congregation where you were used publicly a lot more often, and that's not going to be the case at this local congregation. You just need to understand that. Even if we had a very fair system, and I want our, our deacons who are over this to challenge you, that as we allow our men to be used in public service, to not do so on the basis of talent, but just a fair system. That everyone gets their shot, whether if they're excellent or not. Whether some are better or some are worse, it's fair across the board. But even if it is fair across the board, we're not going to serve as often as perhaps we would at another congregation. I'll give you the illustration of, of when Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, was called into service. It says in Luke 1, beginning verse 8, it came about when when he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. I mean, I mean a lot to us, but in verse 8, appointed to the order of his division, there were so many priests in the first century, they had to divide them into divisions. So, if most historians are correct, there were 24 divisions of 750 priests per division, which would mean there's likely 18,000 priests in Jerusalem in the first century, which meant this. Have you ever thought of this before? That when Zechariah was called into service, that was the one time in his life he would do so. Brothers, can you imagine? You're going to be able to lead prayer publicly before the congregation once in your life. 
That would change how you pray, wouldn't it? That would change how you would read the Scripture. Did he have reason to be bitter? No, there's nothing he can do about that. He's one of out of 18,000. Is that the only service that Zechariah would have rendered to the Lord? No, there's a reason God chose him. Because his service wasn't tied to a public demonstration at the temple. He was a man who served God in his daily walk. Brothers, this isn't it. It is an honor to lead publicly, and we know this. But if I'm here saying, I, I just don't have a chance to serve, and this congregation, I'm just not used. No, what it means is that you're not serving publicly as perhaps you did in a lo- another congregation, but there are abundant opportunities to be used, to be useful. In our Bibles, we're going to go to the Ephesians chapter 4. Go there with me. Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to know something with me. This applies to every one of us, not just our brothers, but our brothers and our sisters. God's expectation for his people is that we come and we serve, that we are useful. There is no one, there's no one in a church where God says your only job is to come and to sit and to leave. No one, no one gets that. There's no one where he says, all I want you to do is just sit on the pew and then leave once you're done. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, it says, He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. He's going to explain why in 13 through uh, 14, but I want you to notice verse 16, our last verse here. He talks about Christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of, listen, each individual part. What's each individual part? Every single one. Every single member. Every single person. When every single one of us does what we can do, it causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. In a church of ten, you can't get away with that. In a church of ten, it's demanded just to keep the doors open that everyone does their part. Here's our challenge. In a church of 400, it's very easy to come in and to say, the extent of my service is showing up. I'm going to show up when I want to, when I can, and then that's it. And then I'm going to leave. And you can do so. But here's the thing. It will hurt this church. It will hurt the open doors that God is opening for us, and it's only going to hurt myself. It's going to hurt me. Well, but I see what's going on here, and y'all don't really need me. You don't need me. Y'all are doing so much, and you're doing it well. I'm just going to be in the way. You don't need me. Well, here's reality. We are doing some things without some members really contributing much at all. We are. We're able to do what we're doing now. Some are getting really tired. I'll admit that. We have some workers who are getting burned out because there's a lot more to do. There's much more than what we can keep up with. But can you imagine the opposite? Think. Just for a minute, think about this. If this is what we're doing right now, realizing that there's more of our members who have more to offer than what they're doing now, can you imagine where we'll be if more would just do more? Have you thought about that? You you look at where we are, and the Lord has blessed us tremendously, and all this goes to the glory of God. But imagine where we will be if everyone steps up and says, I'm just going to do what I can do. I'm not going to get tired. I'm not going to grow weary of, 
of good of doing good. I'm just going to use what talents and opportunities the Lord has blessed me with, and I'm going to serve to whatever capacity. Maybe I'm going to be an encourager. Maybe I'm going to be a teacher. Maybe I'm going to mentor those who are younger. Maybe I'm going to be the one that reaches out to our widows. Maybe I'm going to be really active in evangelism. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be something. Every year we kind of use this analogy. I've used it with basketball. The Rangers are doing so well. Let's go to baseball for a moment. You know, when you get that pop fly and it's going out into the outfield and you got two guys who are running for it, what happens when the two outfielders are, outfielders are there and the ball is coming and it lands in the middle of the two of them? And they both go this. Do you know what they're saying? I thought you had it. I thought you had it. My favorite one is when this happens, where they're just not talking and then no one has it, right, in between them. Who's got it? Who's got it? Surely someone, someone is taking care of our widows now and is loving them and serving them. I thought you had it. Well, I thought you had it. Surely someone is serving our shepherds who serve us. Surely, surely someone is looking out for them and caring for them. Surely someone is making sure that when our visitors come in, they're welcomed and greeted and loved. Well, I thought you had it. How about I've got it. I've got it. I would encourage you to be very careful about your complaints to your evangelists and your shepherds. Because the next time you come saying, why don't our young people get together and do more things socially? Sounds like I hear a volunteer. I wish we had more, more classes here, a college class. Right, sounds like we're signing you up next quarter. What if we turn our complaints into opportunities? Who's got it? Brethren, imagine what we could be. Oh, we're blessed where we are, but imagine what we could be. We, we've got to move. I want you just right now. I know it's 12. I've got more I want to say. Stretch for a minute. We're going to keep on going, brethren. Stay positive. There's good in this congregation, and we're going to get there. In fact, I gave you a box down below. We're not ready for that yet. There's good that's going to come here, but there's also a challenge. Let's just be honest with it. With more people comes more, uh, more opinions, which means there's more judgments, which means there's more that I can rub the wrong way, more people that I can offend, more people that I can rub and be at odds with. It's just the nature of being in a group this large. Let's remember first and foremost that our differences are by God's design. And so just because someone is not like me and thinks the way that I think and serves the way that I serve, that's not a bad thing. In fact, that's what God intended it to be. In Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 17, he says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. What you saying? Our differences are by God's design. The goal is, why can't you be more like me? No, the goal is, why can't we be more like Christ, even in our individuality? Let's remember that. We're not going to be the same in terms of our personalities, in terms of our backgrounds, in terms of how we might serve. We're going to be different, and that's a good thing as we and our differences try to be more like Christ. Let's also remember this, brethren. Satan wants this church. He wants to stop the good that's being done here. And one of the ways he does so is through each other. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. Whether we recognize it or not, Satan is working hard against the Kimball Road Church. I can be the one to commit and say, if he's going to try and, and hurt this church and influence, influence this church, 
it's not going to be through me. It, it won't be me. And so if he wants to cause harm, if he wants to spread gossip, if he wants to spread division, if he wants to be someone who's going to get under people's crawls, he can try all he wants to, but if he's going to do it, it's not going to be me. It's not going to be through me. You ever had that before when you had that really bad stain on the carpet and then you try and wipe it up and all you do is you make it a lot worse and you spread it and you spread it and the more you rub and the more you rub, the worse it gets? Well, the answer the whole time is simply just to go straight to the source with the solution and to clean it up. I've got an issue with you, and you have an issue with me. No one likes confrontation. No one does. Here's the secret. No one does. And if they do, well, I don't think anyone does. No one does. But we feel better, better when we talk about it. The only things that happen, brethren, when we spread our issues with one another is we make things a lot bigger and a lot worse. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Alone. My brother has sinned against me. My sister has sinned against me. Don't tell your shepherds. Don't tell your preacher. Don't tell your sister, your brother, your mother, your father, your cousin, your kids. Don't tell your neighbor. Go to him and him alone. So many issues get spread so big and so far when we fail to attack the issue at its source. No one likes that. Let's just say it. No one likes that. No one likes going to someone face-to-face and saying, you bothered me. You offended me. You hurt me. You're in sin and I'm worried about you. No one likes that. But you know what's worse? is taking someone's sin and instead of helping them and correcting them, I'm going to spread it through the congregation and affect many more souls and lives. Stop. Let's stop. If I've got an issue, I'm going to you and you alone. And I hope if you have an issue, you're coming to me. Keep Satan at bay if we can just have that kind of heart, that kind of honesty. To just be honest with one another and open with one another. And attack these things at their source with grace, with truth. All this being said, there is a lot of good. And sometimes we don't get here enough. I left a little box for you. I'm going to go through some of these quickly. I would encourage you today to think about the blessings you would have about not only a large congregation, but this large congregation. And what might make that list and whatever you put on that list is a good way to take that to the Lord in prayer and just say thank you. In a large congregation, we're blessed because there's more saved. That is, in this congregation, there's more people who have been saved by the grace of God, and so we have abundant more uh, reminders of God's amazing grace simply through us being present together. And there's more disciples. There are people here who are committed to the learning of the, lo- of the word of the Lord and following him, which means I'm not alone. I'm not alone. All around me are people who have made the same confession and the same devotion, and that's really encouraging. There's more classes, which means we have more opportunities to learn and to grow and to study together. There's more teachers, abundantly more teachers and amazing teachers all gathered together to help and encourage and challenge one another. There's more elders. In fact, there are elders. In many small congregations, you don't have elders, 
but we have elders and more elders because of a larger congregation, and the same with servants and deacons in the church. There are more opportunities, opportunities to be used and to serve and to help and to bless and encourage. There's more encouragement to give one another because there's more people who's going to be helping and writing and listening and talking and sharing. There's more contacts in the community, which means the gospel is going to spread further just because there's more people. Every one of us has our circle of influence, and if you compound that by the number who are here, there are abundantly more opportunities simply because we are present. There's more souls being reached because we have more, more workers, more opportunities. There's more resources, financial resources, to help this work and to help works all across the world. We have websites, we have lights and PowerPoints, and those are wonderful tools to help us spread the gospel. There's more friendships and more people I can relate with, which means those who have been divorced, we have many who have been divorced. For those who are single parents, we have many who are single parents. For those who are adopted, we have many families who have adopted. For some from different races and countries and tongues, with more people means the more likelihood that I have someone who's more where I am than in the smaller congregations. And to that we say, thank the Lord. Now, I want you to think for a moment. What do I say about this church? One of the things that will get me, I have a vein that's right here. And one of the things that will make it pop pretty quick is when a husband bashes his wife. He runs her under the mud and belittles her all for the sake of humor. What I want to say is, didn't you marry her? It's a wonder she married you. Why would you belittle and run through the mud someone you devote your life to? What do I say about this congregation, about this church? Do I say anything? Would anyone know that I'm here, that I'm a part? Anything I post publicly? Do I share anything on Facebook? Would I invite my friends and my neighbors to meet my family? believers. No, no, we are not perfect at all. And yes, we have room to grow. I, I just wonder, brethren, when was the last time we just said something really positive about this church? That I love being here. I love these people. I love what the Lord is doing through us. I love the doors that he's opened for us. I love our workers. I love the sermons I'm hearing Rick and Jansen, I, I can't tell you what a blessing they are to me. I love our shepherds. I love these people. Exalted was hard today. That song. Because our brother who wrote that is now being able to exalt King Jesus face to face. There's something about a brother who has blessed his brethren and will for years and years to come. One of the songs he wrote that I love, we would sing it often in Chattanooga, is A Foretaste of Your Rest. And I'll, I'll take it for another time to share it with you. But it talks about the beauty of a Sunday morning, the beauty of worship with God's people, and how today is just a taste of heaven. But think, think. It's not that worship is a foretaste of heaven. Worshiping with you is a foretaste of heaven. Which means, when I think of you, I think of heaven. I think of you in heaven. 
I think of being with you and singing with you in heaven. And so I, I just want us to ask today. I can't answer it for you. I have my answer. And it's not what you might think. But you have to answer it today. At least to be honest with yourself and with your family and your walk with Christ, you have to answer this today. Why am I here? Now, Jansen asked that in terms of purpose. I'm asking it in terms of this congregation. Why am I here? The Lord adds to his church, to that collective of saved of all time and all place. But brethren, we chose to be here. We chose the Campbell Road Church. So I'm asking you this morning, why are you here? Why am I here? Am I here to grow? Am I here to serve? Am I here to help? Am I here because I have been helped? Am I here because of the people who make me what it is I am today? I would ask you things and spend some time in prayerful contemplation of my role in this special, special church. You do mean a lot to me. This is a wonderful church. Thankful for each one of you. And if you have not been, if you've not joined the Lord's church, not this church, but the number of those who are saved from all time, today is a great day, a great morning to make that change in your life. The Lord is calling for you to come, and if you will turn from your sin and confess Him as Lord and be baptized, you can be saved from your sins and be joined to that beautiful number of those adopted into His family. If we can help you in any way today, let's do it right now. Let's do it as we sing and as we sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.